Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yes, that's billion with a B. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. But of course, Lord knows when you're listening to it, because I've, as I've learned from podcasting, People are listening to podcasts from like a year ago. D, every day there's like three downloads of a podcast from a year ago or something. So long live podcasts. And thanks for the downloads. Yes, thanks. Uh, that goes without saying. Over 500,000 now. Uh, if I must say so myself. Uh, today's headlines, uh, the headlines uh, in the Chicago Sun-Time, new school rules. Just to give you a sense of what life is like on July 2nd, 2020, the um, state of Illinois has decided they're going to open up school in September. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, and the headline is, if and when kids return to classrooms this fall, face masks, temperature checks, and one-way hallways are just a few of the pandemic precautions to expect. So we'll, like, like I said, we'll see if that happens, see what the world looks like in September. As I do with all my bonus guests, I ask my distinguished bonus guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Candace Castillo, political strategist, union thug and all around, you know, <laughs> professional troublemaker. That's correct. That is correct. She's a professional troublemaker. It's been too long since she's been on my show making trouble. Uh, <laughs> so here she is, Candace Castillo. So much to talk about. Uh, now, Candace Castillo can go two ways. <clears throat> she could do local politics, and she can do national politics. She'd probably do international politics as well if I'd ever ask her to do that. So, uh, Candace, I'm going to ask you to choose. You get to choose where we start. We can either start with the local or we can start with the national. The choice is up to you. You tell me. Which one would you go like to go with first? Let's start local first. All right, let's start local first. There's a lot on my mind locally. Good God. Uh, and, uh, well, one thing I've been fuming about today, and get your thoughts on this. Uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about locally, the defund the police movement, uh, police in schools. That's an obvious one. I just wrote about that for the reader. Uh, but something that really irritated me, today's uh, newspaper had a story uh, that the city of Chicago is going back uh, to uh, writing tickets and booting cars. And this is one of my pet peeves, uh, Candace. I understand the need to write tickets and uh, boot uh, in order to, what, try to get people to change their behavior and uh, well, you know how long they let a car sit in a, on a public space, keep traffic moving, etc. I understand all that, but to me, this has just become an excuse to squeeze people, uh, poorer people, for money, so they uh, can 
pay basic obligations because the city is reluctant to impose a more progressive form of taxation. Uh, do you agree or disagree with me? Go. No, I totally agree with you. I also agree that it helps fuel the prison industrial complex and keep especially black and brown people in perpetuous debt to the city of Chicago. Um, look at where they put a lot of these red light cameras in black and brown neighborhoods. So, yeah, they're going to start booting cars again, but the unemployment rate is still very dangerously high. They're going to start picketing. They've been picketing, right? But, you know, this is just another way for the uh, city to say, oh, well, you know, we don't have to do a LaSalle Street tax. We don't have to tax the wealthy. They don't have to pay their fair share. Uh, so, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Ben. Well, I, I thought there might be a little resistance, but maybe not. No, I. Uh, is there any, do you have any sense uh, that sentiment is flowing toward a more progressive form of taxation here in the city of Chicago. Uh, there's a lot of the discussion and the debate over the last a month or so. There hasn't been a lot of discussion and debate on how we're going to raise revenues. Uh, we've been talking a lot about policing. We'll get into all that. But, you know, you're around City Hall a lot. Uh, do you have any sense that the tide may be turning in the favor of a more progressive form of taxation? Or do you think we're just back where we've always been. I think that so many people are talking about defunding the police and taking that money and doing other things. And we definitely need to do that. But we also need to make Walt uh, LaSalle Street pay their fair share. But I don't really hear people talking about that. I hear people saying defund the police. What does that mean if we defund the police? then maybe it'll stop, you know, uh, certain needs like booting and things of that nature for city's revenue, for the city's revenue. But I haven't heard, like, well, maybe a LaSalle street tax is a thing. Um, and I would love to hear that. I would love to hear that in City Hall. I would love for the mayor's office to admit that. But they're more worried about low-level drug dealers who – they assume make thirty to fifty thousand dollars a week a day. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Instead of going after the people that actually make thirty to fifty thousand dollars a day on LaSalle Street. Yeah. No. This is uh, just so everybody knows the uh, the movement to uh, tax the exchanges downtown has been stalled to put it mildly i can recall people talking about this in the 80s the 90s the o's uh there's a state law that prohibits it so it would require a state change and this would be a very progressive form of taxation obviously uh it would raise uh millions if not billions of dollars for the city and the state but we've never had a mayor or a governor uh who has pushed for this it's just always been talk on the fringes the left side of the aisle if you will and uh it's just go ahead Mm -hmm. and i like to say that it's becoming less fringy right it's becoming more mainstream people are saying 
you know, this probably needs to be a thing. But our governor and our mayor, who all who both ran as being left, um, are not for this. And have Pritzker is a billionaire, and Mayor Lightfoot, I'm pretty sure she's a millionaire. So, yeah. All right, uh, let's talk, let's move to the other issue you raised and uh, the defunding the police movement. Uh, we've had many guests on this show who have championed the defund the police movement. But we also have guests on the show who say this. Could you come up with a different name? Uh, that that defunding the police is not a name that uh, would would inspire people to join the movement. If anything else, it could be used against the very uh, purpose of the movement, uh, which is to get money uh, into areas, as you were suggesting, like mental health services, counselors, therapists, that kind of thing. Uh, first, uh, so what's your thought to that general criticism that the name itself is a deterrent to the objectives of the movement? You know, there's a part of me that says, I don't care what you call it, as long as they get less money. But then there's a part of me that is more offended by people who are like, let's just call it something else. Let's just give it a sexier name because, you know, people might jump on and sign on to it. No, that that's ridiculous. That's, that, that's ridiculous. Let's give it a catchy phrase. Let's defund the police. There is no other way to put it. Um, I know how they deal with schools and say, oh, we're not going to say we're defunding schools. We're going to say we're reimagining them. <laughs> no, they defunded the school. Let's defund the police. Because obviously, if the last three weeks of violence hadn't been enough, they're not deterring that. They're not deterring anything. So I have no problem with the name, let's call it what it is. I know there are some people that want to say, let's reinvest. Okay. But first, you got to take the money away. So let's defund them. Let's take money away. And let's have real conversations with our communities on what that is. It's, it's not police will, you know, only get a half a tank of gas. Or we're cutting police salaries by 50%. No, no, that's, that's not what it is. And unless we're having real conversations with our communities about what it is, then it's dead on arrival and it's mute. All right, so when you uh, listen to the conversation going on in the city right now in terms of how to deal with the violence, uh, the shootings, and... Uh, the papers are filled with stories today, by the way, about the different strategies that uh, Mayor Lightfoot and the chief of police, uh, Brown, are talking about for 4th of July weekend, this upcoming weekend. Uh, people will be listening to this show uh, right in the middle of it all. What do you think that some of the strategies if, uh, they should be uh, considering? So I think as I take a step back and look at 2019 and 2020 so far, I come back to the conclusion a number of times that CCU was absolutely right for everything that they've been fighting for. I think about, they said we need nurses, we need social workers, 
and we need counselors. That's what we need in our schools. That's what we need with these kids. There are young people slipping through the cracks. The young man that shot and killed those two young men walking in front of them after asking them how tall, one of them how tall they was, was 19 years old. He's not that far out of school. And I bet you if somebody did the research, he didn't have nurses, counselors, psychiatrists, anything in his school. Or they didn't get to him. There were people who slipped through the cracks. We're talking about putting 1,200 more police on the street this holiday weekend. Great. What are they going to do? That's what I want to know. What are they going to do? Because they're not trained therapists. They're not trained psychologists. They're not trained in any of that. So what are they going to do? And how are they really going to deter violence? And how are they going to solve the murders that have already happened? They're not. They're not. So they're going to be sweet on corners of kids that the mayor says is making thirty to $50,000 a day. That's absolutely insane. Because they're still going to get the low-level drug dealers that are children that are going to end up feeding the prison industrial complex and never the mid to high-level dealers. They don't get them. They're going to lock up kids and say, see what we did? We won. We've been there, done that. And it's never worked out good for us in the long time. Yeah, I have to uh, just add this perspective of having lived in the city for a long time, Candace. I moved here in 81. And I have to tell you, I say this all the time on the show, so I'll repeat this. I have lived through so many of these sweeps. When I first moved to the city of Chicago, there were arrests for disorderly conduct. Uh, they were, it was just like, you're on a corner, that's disorderly conduct. Sweep them up. This was in the early 80s. And there were mm-hmm. the, the ACLU went to court, forced the city to back off on those tactics. And then there were different excuses for sweeps. So you have a little reefer. Well, throw them in jail. I've been watching this uh, for all these years. And guess what? I can't see a direct correlation between these kind of tactics and a rise or a fall in shootings. In fact, sometimes I think, follow me on this one, Candace, that they're all part and parcel of the same thing. That's this attitude that we have in Chicago, this mentality. It's like you react to everything with a punch to their face. So you talked about that. I, rem- I read that story in the paper about the 19-year-old the kid said something about him being tall and he shot him. And that's when I read that, I'm like that, that just is so Chicago. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's like, that's a person that needs help. That's it's so Chicago, but that's a person that needs help. That's not a person that is well. And that's a person that's probably had issues for a very long time. So, Chicago tries to police its way out of everything. And that's just not, that's not what we need. You want to know what there's a correlation between, there's a correlation between jobs and, I'm sorry, youth unemployment and violence. When kids have jobs, when they are able to get jobs, the numbers in violence go down. Period. 
and people don't understand that. So when small business owners and entrepreneurs are talking about we need people with jobs, they should be giving kids job skills. They should be having peace circles, justice intervention programs. They, we should be doing that. But policing our way out of it, and these kids knowing, these kids knowing that the police clearance rate on these crimes is abysmal. Abysmal. So if these kids know that, and it's scary, and it's sad. So Mayor Lightfoot is going to do what Rom and Daly did before her and try to police her way out of the situation. And you can't. You can't. You can help stop another generation of kids from going through this with therapy, with peace circles, with violence interrupters. You can do that. But you're not going to be able to police your way out of this. These kids are angry. Everything you just said, which I agree with, and I'm, I'm just an old hippie, I agree with everything you just said about peace circles and interrupters, et cetera, and so forth, is so, goes against the grain of the Chicago mentality. And you just listen to how people talk to each other in this town, like You Listen to the, ta- the uh, Mayor Lightfoot and uh, Alderman Lopez talking to each other, okay? That, uh, the Chicago mentality is if someone crosses you, you hit him in the head. And it, that's from top to bottom in the city. So the notion well, that's... Then, go ahead. But then, has it worked? Has this hit him in the head mentality worked for the life of the administration so far? I would add Alderman Lopez. Has this hit him in the head mentality worked for the 15th Ward so far? Has it worked for us? Or is it time for us to try something new? Is it time for us to listen to our kids and listen to the working people in this city and who are saying, hey, this isn't working? Not only am I being taxed out of the city, not only is this violence not working, not only are people very angry that they're looting, what? If something's not working and something's not clicking and us thinking that we can police our way out of this situation, it's crazy. I've had conversations with police officers that work in the CAPS program. And you know what they're upset about? They're upset that they can't go coach Little League in CAPS anymore. Individual police officers. Or when I talk to individual police officers about the gang database, black and white. They told me, hey, I might know that kid. That kid might live down the street from me. But they're in the gang database, and I can't get them out. Knowing that they used to do, or their uncle or their brother or their cousin, but I can't get them out. We Even the cops are frustrated with the way we police in this city. And it's crazy. But, of course, we're not going to hear that from FLP. And, of course, we're not going to hear this from mayor, the mayor's office. The uh, new police superintendent, Brown, we heard that from him when he was head of the police department in Dallas. When he said, the, we asked the police to police us out of social ills, he said that in the interview in Dallas. So it's funny to me that he would come here and still want the police to police us out of his social ills. They can't. 
You know, that's uh, the mentality is very strong in this city. It's been this way for, since 1981. I was hoping, you know, I was hoping things would change uh, in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. And I, I've talked about this on the show a lot, uh, Candace. There was an article in the New York Times, uh, a profile of one of the cops. One of, there were four cops involved uh, in the murder of uh George Floyd. There was the one, Derek Chauvin, who actually had his uh, his leg on uh, George Floyd's neck. But there was a, a young African-American cop, King, who was holding Floyd down. And I don't know if you know, you read this mm-hmm. story. He was on his third day. I, I've talked about this with so many different guests. It was his third day on the job. And this is a kid. He's 26 years old. He grew up. He had, a, uh, I believe, his mother is white and his father's black interracial family uh, almost all his family members are black lives matter activists his friends his best friend is a black lives matter activist somehow or other the police training program that he went through in minneapolis turned a kid who was like a black lives matter activist into somebody who would ho- hold george floyd down while chauvin put his a leg on the man's neck. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's something wrong here. I was hoping we would move beyond where we're at now, but I sense that in Chicago, the resistance is strong and we're determined not to learn any lessons from what went down over the last month. Your thoughts? The resistance is strong, but the resistance is strong on both sides. And I must say, in other cities, from New York to D.C. to Houston, to Atlanta, they have actually made, it doesn't go far enough, in my opinion, but some substantive changes to their police department. We have made none, none. Mayor Lightfoot has brought nothing to city council and put nothing on the table that is a substantive change in the pattern and practice of our police department. New York has already cut funding of what over a million dollars of their police department and is going to start truth and reconciliation that's a lot is it enough no but that's a lot what have we done what have we done what has the mayor said oh nobody has talked to me about defunding the police really well we're talking about drug dealers who are making 30 individual drug dealers who are making 30 to $50,000 on a street corner per day. I mean, unless, unless we're going to deal with the problems, we can sidestep the problems. We can make them look cute. What happened in Bobby Rush's office wasn't an accident. It wasn't, they were just guarding the facility. It is how Chicago police department rolls. You fired the police officers. They were stripped of all police powers with the incident at the Brickyard Mall. That's a normal incident at the Brickyard Mall. Again, people are like, oh, but we got a new police chief. Yeah, we were going to get that anyway. So kids need to roll. And it starts at the top. This is the same person that during the protest downtown who lifted the bridge up to not let people get back south. Stop the buses, gave 20 minutes notice. It starts from the top. 
Black Lives Matter activists who work um, with Rakia Boyd's family said this during the mayoral campaign that Lori Lightfoot is a cop, period, full stop. Lori Lightfoot is a cop, and she's acting like one. Not a good one either. All right, let's talk about uh, the vote that went down last week uh, at the Board of Education. Four to three was the vote on police and schools. There was a motion uh, to immediately terminate the intergovernmental agreement that the Board of Education has with the Chicago Police Department uh, that provides uh, up to two cops per school uh, at many high schools. And in exchange, the Board of Education gives money to the police department. Uh, the, um, there were a couple of board members who wanted to terminate that agreement. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot was against terminating the agreement. And in the end, the board voted down uh, the motion to terminate the agreement. But it was four to three. Uh, so in some ways, it was a path-breaking day for the Board of Education. I know, uh, Candace, you've been a big proponent of an elected school board. This is as close to a board acting like an independent entity as I've seen uh, since 1995 when we went to this, for, uh, this format where the mayor appoints the board members and has complete control. Uh, so not only did they um, entertain a proposal that the mayor opposed, but they got three people to vote for it. So this is like the 4th of July in the city of Chicago Declaration of Independence of sorts. Uh, that's the best spin you can have on it. Uh, what's, um, what's your take on that? It, it should have been 4 to 3 the other way. Look, I think it's great that uh, the school board exercised some independence, right? I, of course, I would have loved the vote to go the other way because these children who are in the schools and the experts say that, hey, this isn't going how you think it is. What was remarkable to me is the line that kept being used is, we have to defer to our elected bodies, LSCs. The elected bodies, they now want to give LSCs all the power because they're elected when we could have had an elected representative school board the whole time. When we should have an elected representative school board. So now, well, LSCs are elected. Well, how many people actually voted in the last LSC election? How many, how many schools actually had quorum in August? Four different groups at this point have foiled that information. You want to know how many has actually received them? None. So, missing the LSCs said that they wanted the police in schools. Let's talk about an elected representative school board who actually can hear from constituents to say, yes, we want cops in schools or no. We don't. The experts say it's a bad idea. The kids say it's a bad idea. The consent decree even said this is not the best idea. And the OIG's report today also kind of said this might not be the greatest idea. Mm -hmm. And I just want to point out that the vast majority of charters don't have police in schools. So, I mean, I, 
I am very upset that they decided to keep the cops in school. But there's another vote. So I would encourage people to call the school board and tell them how you feel. I am definitely protecting cops out of school. But call the school board and tell people how you feel because we don't need our children going to school in a police state. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's something very wrong with the police state, especially when our the newest FOP president came out of being an SRO and was actually put out of a school because of his comments and his treatment of the people, of the children who decided to kneel. Um, um, and set a stand for the flag. Mm-hmm. So, well, I would put this, you know. this uh, at the risk of offending all my uh, many of my li- uh, listeners. I believe if a local school council wants to have police officer uh, in their school and they feel that they have a good working relationship with that police officer, they should be entitled to have that police officer. I do not believe, however that all schools should be mandated to have a police officer if they don't want it. And also a very important point, Candace, the Board of Education should not be paying for the police officers. See, that's what the intergovernmental agreement uh, oversaw. The, the payment. The obligation of the Board of Ed to pay for the police officers. So effectively what this was is a budget device to move police salaries from the Chicago Police Department to the Board of Education taking money away from classroom activities, if you follow what I just said. And <laughs> these are just budget games. It's got, this has nothing to do with the issue of police and schools so much as a budget game uh, played by mayors. Do you follow what I just said? So in other words, you shift the, the responsibility, the obligation to pay for police officers to the schools. And I think it should be... Mo- Definitely move. Even if you have a police officer at a school, it should not be the school's obligation to pay for them. What do you think of that? I think I think you're right. But if you gave most of the LSEs the choice, if they wanted a police officer or if they wanted another counselor, they'll take the other counselor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, and and maybe I'm just not doing the math the right way. But $33 million for 104 officers seems to be awfully steep. (laughs) Well, that seems to be awfully steep. I'll tell you right now. Even if you do salary and benefits, that seems to be pretty high. So you're you're even more skeptical than I am. You think they're, the the money is covering up more than the police officers in the school? There's paying. It's probably paying for police officers who have nothing to do with the schools. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. I'll tell you what, if we had an independent board of education, uh, they could stick their uh, CPAs or accountants on this and get to the bottom of it. Uh, but uh, that gets to your other point. Yeah, but yeah, no, there's it, at top of everything else, on top of the issues of having police officers in schools, there's the issue of money. This is the city of Chicago, Candace. So there's always issues of money flying around from this account to that account, from here to there, and nobody's really paying attention. All right, let's move on uh, from local politics and talk some national politics uh, in, in general. 
<laughs> the theme in this show is Donald Trump has lost his freaking mind. We talk about this so many times. Uh, since the last time you're we on the show, we had his Tulsa uh, campaign stop. And then even worse than Tulsa was his campaign stop in Arizona where he gave a uh, speech, had a campaign rally at a mega church in front of a couple of thousand uh, students for Trump. I'm not making that up. College students for Trump at a very young and tender age. Uh, they've already so jaded that they think Donald Trump is uh, the best we can do. Um, Candace, please help me on this. How in the world that wasn't even the that yeah. wasn't even the worst part of college students for Trump. It was the church that said that they had an air filtration system <laughs> that yeah. could beat the coronavirus. Yeah. That was the worst part. It's like really okay, I'm going. What? Yeah, they uh, the church said they're uh, don't worry, have no fears. Uh, the um, uh, their system, their AC system, is going to take care of it. I just saw this story breaking as uh, we began this interview. Uh, the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, issues mandatory mask policies for every county that has twenty more uh, coronavirus cases. A dramatic move as cases climb. Uh, it seems as though, it seems as though at this moment in time that uh, Republican leaders are coming to terms with the fact that their attitude toward uh, the coronavirus, their attitude toward the pandemic and to turning it into a political issue is now causing serious health, uh, a serious health crisis. Uh, what's your sense of where the Republicans are on this? I think it's sad. I think it's sad. I think it's sick. I think it's, I have said it before, I'll say it again. People stopped caring when they found out that it was black, brown, and older people dying of this disease. Now, it's younger people dying or getting very sick during this. Because the governors, the president was irresponsible enough to go outside. And I'm more concerned about places like Arizona that doesn't have the testing capacity. And get this, especially doesn't have testing capacity in low-income neighborhoods. Why don't you have testing capacity? Or Texas, that was all good to the other day. And I know a number of people during our quarantine who traveled to where Texas? Because it says everything's open in Texas. Mm. It's safe. They don't have the number of cases we do. Yeah. Newsflash. So, I mean, this, the Republicans are so brainwashed that it's ridiculous. It's like Trump is the second coming of Jesus and everything he says is right. No, six red, no sign. No. So I'm glad that Governor Greg Abbott, um, the governor of Texas, the governor of Arizona, even the governor of place, even Kay Ivey in like Alabama is saying, wait a minute now. So I, I'm glad they're finally waking up. Hopefully they will continue to wake up and hopefully 
hopefully they will get some, for lack of a better word, ball. Hopefully they'll be like, no, unfortunately, this isn't that. Um, Maine's governor definitely said to Trump pretty early on, this isn't that. Yeah, I'm a Republican, but uh, I'm not going to do this. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, you- I, I think we're going to have a surge pretty much everywhere. I'm taking these next two weeks and enjoying while I can. Yeah, that's why I began the the, the segment talking about the new school rules uh, story in the Sun-Times. I'm not even sure we're going to have school. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a fatalist, but uh, my sense of it is that nobody knows the direction uh, the virus is going to take. Uh, that is so clear and so obvious. And so trying to make plans for schools opening up in September, no matter how much we want them to open up, now how important it is for children to get back in school, I just, I, I don't think anybody really knows uh, the situation, what it's going to be like in September if we're going to go uh, back to it. And I have to point out, the last time Candace was on the show, I think it was the last time you were on the show, or maybe the time before that, that's when you made, that's when you said, you said, uh, you were talking about the uh, Operation Gridlock Movement, the first movement to open up that was happening in Michigan. Remember this, when the people showed mm-hmm. up in their cars and they had their guns and their Confederate flags? Man, the world has changed a lot since then, huh? Uh, just think about the Confederate flag for a moment. And you said that that, op- that movement erupted around the time that the people in that movement came to the conclusion that the virus only affected black people, which... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and let's think about this Confederate flag movement mm-hmm. for a moment. And I really hope people hear me, right? The Confederate Confederate flag should have been removed from Mississippi's state flag a long time ago. And I am happy it's gone. However, spray painting Black Lives Matter on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue in D.C., Spray painting um, Black Lives Matter on uh, uh, 5th Avenue in New York is cute. But it's not going to save any black people's lives. It's not. It's not. It's a nice statement. It's a great catchphrase. Yes, black lives do matter. But you spray painting it everywhere won't save anybody, anything. Should children have to go to schools named after people of the Confederacy? No. I went to school in Alabama. It's a majority black school in Montgomery, black high school in Montgomery, Alabama, named Jefferson Davis High School. I don't think kids should have to go to a Jefferson Davis High School. But I also don't think kids should have to go to an Andrew Jackson High School either. But does that save black people's lives? No. This policy that actually deals with reform of policing and changing neighborhoods save black people's lives? Yes. So I'm I'm glad that Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben are going away. 
I'm glad. However, will that save my son's life if he's pulled over by the cops? No. Is that is that ain't somebody being gone? Is that gonna make that cop think again on whether my son's life matters differently than another child? No. No. But we are a country that is based on racism and the idea that black people are not as human as white people. That's been something that's been floating around since the founding of America and before that. So I want to see policy. The cute stuff is cute. But I want to see policy. I want to see Andrew Jackson off the twenty dollar bill too. Mm. I'd rather see. I'd rather spend a sub. Yeah, I'm with but you with that one. <laughs> that's just cute. Well, it's beyond cute. If you put Harriet Tubman on a $20 bill replacing uh, Jack, I think that's beyond cute. That's a pretty significant symbolic uh, point. But your your main uh, point is well taken, that uh, you want to see some uh, substantive change as well. All right, and to that point, let's deal with the final uh, item on our agenda, Joe Biden. Uh, neither Candace nor I supported Joe Biden uh, in when, the, when there was a competitive Democratic primary going on. Everybody knows I was for Bernie. And what people may have forgotten is that Candace was for Elizabeth Warren, as I recall. And uh, neither one of us. Oh, our- here we go with the lies. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> weren't you for Warren? I like Warren a lot, but I also like Bernie a lot. Uh, okay, well, that, that's not a lie. It's... <laughs> Didn't you support Warren? I can't remember. Now now you're shaking my memory. My, the foundations of my memory are shaking right now. I, I mean, if people want to, they can go back and listen to the old podcast. Yeah. Where I said I will not pick a one or a two between Bernie and Warren. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going back in my mind's eye to the great debate with Troy LaRavier. Oh, that was a great debate. Back in the old days when you were in the studio, I thought he was for Bernie and you were for whatever. Okay, let's just say you were for Warren. This is what I said. I was much more critical of Bernie supporters than, Warren, than I was of Warren supporters. All right, fair enough. So you were for Warren or Bernie. All right, let's go. Let's just clarify that. The point is, neither of them got the nomination. I was for Bernie. He didn't get the nomination. Elizabeth Warren was my number two. She didn't get the nomination. Joey Biden got the nomination. And I was very critical of Joe Biden. And now it looks as like he was way smarter than me. I wanted him to be more forceful. I wanted him to come out strong. I wanted him to come out swinging. And he basically hung back and chilling in his uh, basement and he's, he's now up like 14% in the last poll I saw, 12%. Somebody. Maybe he knows more than I do about how to win a presidential election. What's your thoughts of Joe Biden's uh, strategy and his campaign, Candace? Here's the thing is older people die. It's older people who are overwhelmingly getting the coronavirus. So because it's older people, they're saying, yeah, this guy has to go. It's not this. I don't think this is a vote for Biden as much as it's a vote against Trump. Just the opposite of 2016. 
just like it's not a vote for Trump. It was a vote against her. And I, I do believe the same thing is going to happen. I'll tell people I'm not voting for Biden. I'm voting for a Supreme Court seat. I am voting for the rule of law. I'm voting for a justice department. But am I voting? Because I don't really feel like we have a justice department right now. We have Trump's lawyers. I That's what I'm voting for. So, yeah, I'm voting for Biden. And uh, let me add this before we head off. Uh, I, I realize that the November election is pretty much everything right now. I mean, the future of our country, it's, it's really at stake. But the fight does not end with November's election. And I know you agree with me on that one, Candace, that uh, you can't just, Democrats got to get out of this habit of getting psyched up for one election and then going to sleep. We saw that with Obama in 2008, and 10 years later, Donald Trump was elected. So I'm just throwing that out there, something for Democrats to put in the back of their mind. It just doesn't end with the one election in November. Do you agree with me on that? Voting is the bottom of your civic duty. It is the absolute bottom. It's the absolute least thing you can do is voting. If you agree with something, Call your elected officials. Know who your elected officials are. Listen to the banjo, right? Stay up to what's going on around you. If you don't like something, it is your job. It is your duty as a voting American citizen to call your representatives on the local, state, or county, or national level to say, I don't like this thing you're doing. Or I'm not in support of this. I need you to vote against it. It's your job. You are supposed to vote. True. But you're also supposed to hold your elected officials accountable. And we see it in Chicago every day. It's too many elected officials that people give a turkey to around the holidays and, oh, they're great aldermen. Or and their neighborhoods haven't changed at all. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks to them about the city budget. Do you know how many people in Chicago have no clue that the police get forty percent of the budget? Because nobody has ever told them that. Because they've never seen a budget book. Mm-hmm. Because nobody has ever said to them, "Hey, you know, you can look this stuff up online, right? Here's the website to go to." Or even during COVID. During COVID was the time when everyone was quarantined, where a lot of people watched city council meetings for the first time because they weren't aware they were open to the public. So we have to, we have to hold our elected officials accountable. They work for us, not the other way around. All right, Candace Castillo, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Have a safe weekend. Uh, stay safe and strong, and we'll talk to you next month, all right? Talk to you soon, Ben. Take Bye. Take care. Take care, everybody.